All right, everyone, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now, hard copy or on your, uh, on your phone. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue our series uh, on relationships, on dating. Um, and in order to kick off where we're going tonight, uh, in order to kick off where we're going tonight, I'll just recognize uh, the simple fact uh, that it is indeed summer. In fact, yesterday or today, uh, one of those days was in fact the first day of summer, uh, the longest day of the year. And that might kind of strike you as odd because some of you are in college and you get out for summer in like April, okay? And then some of you are in college and you got out for summer like last week. And others of you are like grown men and women and you don't have a summer break and that is a thing of the past, right? But, but here's a question I have for you this summer as it is officially here. Raise your hand if in this room, whether it is just just down the road or you're flying across the world, uh, who here is traveling this summer? You're going anywhere this summer. Some of you are excited. The rest of you are like, oh, I'm depressed now. Um, but let me, let me ask this right by show of hands. Who, who here, if you're traveling, is flying somewhere this summer? You're flying somewhere. Okay. So I got, I got a little observation and I just want to do like just some honesty moment here in church just to kind of observe where we're at as travelers here uh, in young adults uh, in, in this room tonight. Uh, I want to talk about three types of travelers, um, three types of people who travel. Uh, and, and the first type of traveler I want uh, to see um, who in this room would identify as this um, for flying, that flying is scary and I hate it. Who here is like, yeah, that's me. I hate it. A handful of, uh, raise your hand proud. You don't have to be ashamed of that. Okay. It's terrifying. You're flying through the air in a tube. It could all end badly. All right. It's scary and I hate it. Here's Here's number two. Uh, flying is fun and I love it. Who's in the flying is fun and I love it crew? Okay. All right. You, you got traveler miles and you're excited to go places. Uh, and then here's like the boring functional crew. Uh, third type of person. Flying is somewhere that gets me where I need to go. Who's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very functional, right? <laughs> um, and, and here's, I, I was thinking about travelers and, and I was thinking about airplanes when I was thinking about the sermon that we're going to go into tonight and the subject we're going to talk about because uh, as much as there's three types of travelers, uh, I think there's also kind of three types of daters. Now, I'm not sure, 100% sure that daters is a word. In fact, I'm certain it's not, but we're going to go with it tonight. Three types of people who date, and I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but I wonder if you would just kind of identify in your mind where you would put yourself. Uh, the first is dating is scary and I hate it. And for some of you, it's just because you've never dated anyone. And so the whole idea just seems kind of terrifying. And for some of you, it's terrifying, not because you've never dated anyone, but because you did date him. And now it's terrifying, the idea of dating anyone else. Or for some of you, you've gone through legitimate things in your life that just make the idea of trusting another human being scary. So I think for some people, you get into it and dating is just kind of this scary, terrifying thing. But then for others of you, you're the opposite. You're, you're the dating is fun and I love it. And so you just kind of date and date and date and it's just the most fun thing. And like everywhere you go, you're meeting someone, you're going on a date, you're constantly going from person to person to person and it's just kind of this fun, interesting season of life and you love it. But then there's a third kind of dater, uh, a third kind of person who's going on dates. And that's this person. It's simply the person for whom dating is something that gets me to where I want to go. And as difficult as it is for the people who are scared of dating, and as fun as it might seem for the people who love dating, the actual kind of dating I want to talk about tonight is this boring third kind of dating. I want to talk about the type of dating that gets you to where you want to go. You see, here's one of the keys I want you to understand tonight when we talk about dating and when we talk about what it means to be in a relationship with someone else, that dating is not a destination. It's not a destination. It is not the ultimate place you are trying to go. And the great problem that happens is you're looking for a boyfriend or you're looking for a girlfriend and you're trying to be dating someone as if that is the destination. 
And someone who thinks dating is the destination is like someone who gets on a plane, buckles themselves in, they fly all the way across the ocean, the plane lands, and they're like, take me back, please, right? That's what it is. You never actually get to the destination. You're just flying back and forth. Dating is not a destination. Dating is not the place you're aiming for. Dating is this. Dating is the way to the destination. It is the means to an end. The point of dating is not dating. The point of dating is dating is getting me towards somewhere where I ultimately want to go. And here's what I want to establish tonight, that the purpose of dating is to arrive at marriage. The purpose of dating is to arrive at marriage. That the point of dating isn't this scary thing you have to do. It's not this fun thing that's just kind of cool to do when you're young and in this season of life. The very purpose of dating, the point of getting together romantically with someone and exploring this person and trying to understand who they are, the purpose of dating is marriage. And here's what I want to establish from the top as we jump into the text tonight, that once you know why you want to date, then you can choose who you want to date. And most people get this completely inverted. They want to choose who they want to date. So that guy was interested in me or that girl is cute or we had a good time or we met or I saw her and I just thought we could, they choose who they want to date and then they try to figure out what in the world they're actually doing. But I think wisdom actually demands the exact opposite. Once you know who, why you want to date, then you can know who you want to date. Or let me put it a different way. Once you know where you want to go, then you can choose who you want to go there with. And that tonight is my challenge to you. And my concern for so many of you is you actually have no idea where you want to go in dating. You have just kind of fallen into this thing where she was interested, so you were kind of in, or, or he was cute, and so you just kind of started dating him, and you're not even sure what the destination is. And here's my challenge for all of you tonight. Whether you're a Christian or not, and I don't assume everyone in this room is a Christian, I just want to ask you that as you step into romantic relationships, that you would have a clear sense of where this is going. Because once you know where you're going, then you can have a clear sense of who you want to go there with. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And I think if there's any text in the New Testament that paints a clear picture of where marriage is and where marriage is going and where you're headed toward if you're heading toward marriage, it's Ephesians chapter 5. And it's this beautiful, beautiful text. And we're going to dive into it tonight. So it begins in chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says these words. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is how it begins this entire section on marriage and a man and a woman and a husband and a wife in marriage. And it begins with these words, submit to one another. So this is speaking to men and it's speaking to women. It's speaking to everyone. And the very first command it's going to give you, if you're going to step into a marriage type relationship, is that you need to be the type of person who has the heart of submission. Now, if you were here a couple months ago, we talked about what submission is or isn't. And so I'm not going to go into a full explanation of that again. If you're interested, you can look on YouTube or our website. There's a sermon called Who You're Looking For. We talked about submission. But in short, submission is not subjugation. Submission is not abuse. Submission is not harm. Submission is not crushing anyone. Submission is this joyful choice we make to actually sacrifice our lives on behalf of another. Submission is a willingness to be influenced or led or swayed. Submission is a heart that says my life is not all about me. It's not all about me and my career and my life and my education and my choices and my desires and my preferences. Submission says there's this other human being in front of me that actually in some mysterious and spiritual way gets to dictate my life. That's submission. And so here's what I want to point out at the very beginning. Again, it's going to say this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and here's the first thing I want to say to men and women in the room tonight. If you have no interest in submitting to anyone, you should stay single. Should. If your life is all about you, 
and your career and your education and your money and your preferences and your comfort, if you are all about you, please do the rest of the world a favor and don't get into a relationship with someone. And I mean this seriously. If you're at a place in your life where you cannot actually prioritize someone else in your life, then you should not do them the disservice of stepping into a relationship with them. I think all of us, as we step into this conversation about who we are supposed to date, have to begin with the question, am I ready to step into a relationship with someone where it's not all about me? Because most relationships you know that go sideways, go sideways because one or both of the people in the relationship somewhere along the way decided that person exists to fulfill me. I am incomplete and she needs to fulfill me. I am hurting, I am not enough and he needs to make me better. And until you get to the place where you say, I am whole in who God has made me and I can step into this relationship because I am willing to put someone else ahead of me, that is the time you are ready to begin dating. It goes on this way in verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make herself holy, cleansing her by the washing through the water with the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed it and they care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of of his body. So what you're going to see is this general command, right? That says all of us, we're going to submit to one another. We, we see this exhortation that we would submit to one another out of reverence, not even for each other, but out of reverence for Christ. And then it's going to go into men and women, husbands and wives. And it's going to give this long block of teaching. We could spend weeks and weeks picking this apart, but I want to give you the basic summary of the paragraph in scripture I just read. This isn't my opinion. This isn't how I feel. This isn't what I think. This isn't even what's happened in my own marriage and I'm projecting it on you. This is what I see in the text. Here's what I see, that God calls wives to submit in everything to their husbands. This is the command of God in scripture. And again, if your heart immediately bristles at that and goes, well, I'm not submitting to any man. No man's gonna tell me. Like if that's immediately your heart and reaction to that, I just want you to return to that statement we made before. If your initial reaction is, I will not sacrifice or submit anything in my life for anyone else, I don't think you're ready to be in a relationship. And I certainly don't think you're ready for marriage because I want you to see the other side. God calls wives to submit in everything to their husbands. God calls husbands to sacrifice everything for their wives. This is the dynamic of marriage. Like wives, you are called to submit to your husbands. And yet husbands, you are called to die for your wives. Like this is how it works in a beautiful kind of way. And you can immediately see how this doesn't really work as well. And it's not really as beautiful if only one person does it. Like if there's a wife constantly submitting and a husband who is not sacrificing, but rather lording it over her, that's a dysfunctional marriage. And if you've got a husband who is sacrificing for his wife, but you have a wife who is undercutting and disrespecting and not submitting to her husband, you've got a dysfunctional marriage. But there's this picture that's beautifully painted for us here of this husband who says, I will do anything up to and including die for you, honey. And a wife who says, I'm willing to follow you anywhere because of that. That is a beautiful picture worth striving for. And listen, listen, this is not the picture you get in culture, right? Like our culture just says like marriage is kind of this weird thing. If you really like each other, like really like each other and you want some tax benefits, then get married. 
And it's like, that's not marriage. Like marriage is so much more beautiful than that. And as you start to picture what does the future look like, you'll notice I'm not talking about all the small practicalities of marriage, right? Sometimes when people say like envision marriage, you're like, it'll be so cute. We'll have a house and babies and we'll have his car and her car and our car, right? And like, that's how it'll be. And like, you've got this vision of this cute thing and that's all wonderful. Like that's all a fun part. But at the core of marriage is not all the cute frills around it. At the core of marriage is two people who are willing to say, you matter more than me and I'm willing to let myself end so you can begin. Like that's what marriage is. So as you start to picture what you're looking for, start to look for that person who as a husband, you would say, I'd be willing to sacrifice anything for her. Like men in the room, I want you to go find a woman you would be willing to lay your life down for. I want you to go find a woman that you would say, I would do anything for her. And not just I would take a bullet for her, I would take the trash out every Tuesday night for the rest of my life for her, right? I, I mean this because you're almost, almost no one in this room is gonna take a bullet for anyone, right? But almost everyone in this room will have a trash can that needs to go out on Tuesday night. And if you as the husband say, I'm just gonna lay my life down over and over and over again, that's the kind of sacrifice, the kind of sacrifice that says, I'll get up earlier, I'll stay up later, I'll work harder, I'll do it all. You have all my money, all my time, all my strength. And if you're not willing to give that, men, stay single. Stay single until you're willing to sacrifice for someone other than you. And ladies, the same goes for you. You wanna look to a man and say, I respect you so much. I admire you so much. I respect your character and your integrity and your, your faith so much that I'm willing to submit to you. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to encourage you. I'm willing to support you. And that you would be that in such a way that you would look to this man and say, it would be so easy to walk in obedience to this because I see who you are. That's the call of God on our lives. It is to picture this clearly. Why? Because once you know where you want to go, then you can choose who you want to go there with. And again, I think for so many, you just kind of fall in love with someone and then you start to imagine that rather than saying, what's the end I have in mind and who do I want to bring into that picture? Verse 31 goes on this way. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. They'll become one flesh. Now, this is as close to the Bible gets as a process of dating and marriage. Now, you'll notice the word dating is nowhere up here, right? Like the Bible does not say, so you'll just like, like DM her and see if she's available on Friday. Like there's nothing there. And yet this is as close we get to a process. This is actually quoting the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where it talks about the creation of the first human beings. And here's what it says. A man leaves his father and mother. Like in other words, dating and marriage is ultimately you leaving your family of origin, leaving the family you grew up in, and going to your wife, and you come together into a new family that is formed. Now, the reason the Bible doesn't get like really specific on how that's supposed to work is because the Bible operates in every culture. And so there's courting cultures and there's different family cultures and honor cultures, and there's all sorts of different things. And so in our culture, what this is most likely going to look like is you stepping out in faith, dating someone, exploring whether or not you want to be a part of that picture we just described in Ephesians 5, and then stepping into marriage where it says the two will become one flesh. This is the process for marriage. This is the process. You leave your family of origin. You leave your mother and father. You date each other. You become engaged. You become married. And you become one flesh. Now, now here's what I want you to know. This process is going to look different in different cultures. 
but it's gonna play itself out in the same way over and over and over again. Because this is the process, this is the actual process that God gives us here. And here's what I wanna observe when it comes to this process. That when you receive the truth, the truth of scripture, it's going to set you free. Like when it comes to the truth of scripture, when you see it for what it is, it sets you free. I want you to know the opposite is true. That when you believe a myth, it keeps you frustrated. That actually lies and myths and falsehood keep you bound and frustrated in this world. And here's my burden tonight. Like, like my big burden tonight in the room, what I call the largest singles group at Calvary, right? Like this is the room full of the single people at Calvary. Here is my burden. Here's what I wanna share with you, the bulk of this sermon. I wanna talk about four myths that are keeping you frustrated in dating. Four myths, four things that are keeping you bound, that are keeping you frustrated, four things that aren't true, that if you're not careful, you'll start to believe. And once you believe them, they'll keep you frustrated and bound and ultimately fruitless in dating. Here's myth number one. Myth number one is the myth of the one that you have to find your soulmate. This is the first myth, that your job is to go find your soulmate. Your soulmate is out there. There are 8 billion people in the world, good luck. You know, like that's the soulmate myth. The soulmate myth is like you're wandering around, you're like, is it you? Is it you? You're just like looking random people. Like right now, you're looking around the room, you're like, is she here, right? Like, and that's the soulmate myth. And we kind of laugh at it, but then part of us actually kind of believes it. Because you know what's happened? We've been discipled more by romantic movies and by Disney than we have by the scripture. Right? And so what we do is we kind of look around. We're like, well, it'll just happen because there's a person out there, right? And here's what I want you to know, in case you have not just known this clearly. The Bible makes no mention of a soulmate. There's no mention of that one person that you must marry. And that's the only person for you. In fact, I'm going to make a bold statement here. I've been married 10 years. I love my wife. We have an incredible marriage and an incredible family. Here's what I know. If I had never met my wife, if life had taken me a different direction, I had never moved to Westlake Village, never come to Calvary, never met my wife, it is entirely possible and likely I would have married someone else and had a wonderful and a beautiful marriage. And I know that doesn't sound romantic, right? That kind of sounds like, oh, like, oh, come on. But it's true for her too. If she had never met me, I'm sure she would have met someone wonderful because the Bible doesn't teach that there's just one person out there. And if you happen to miss them too bad, and if they happen to get married to someone else, like, sorry, you'll be single and lonely forever. Like that is not what the scriptures teach. And here's the problem. If you fall into this myth, one of two things will go terribly wrong for you. One of two things will go terribly wrong. Here's the first thing. The myth of the one can keep you from great relationships. This is what has happened to some of you. Like I'm gonna speak boldly over some of your life. For some of you, you have actually bumped into, ran into, had conversations with, gotten to know someone who was wonderful and you have actually passed over her or passed over him because somewhere in your mind, you're like, I don't know if they're the one, right? But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that there is going to be the one, but that one is the person you already married right? And so what happens is you kind of bump into someone and it's kind of interesting, but you get so caught up on whether they're the one or not that you actually bypass amazing relationships. And that's a great tragedy to me. The great tragedy is that you would actually miss so much of the joy and so much of the blessing that God has in marriage and family because you believe the myth about the one that doesn't actually exist. So that's the first concern I have for you. But the second one is actually more dangerous. The myth of the one can keep you in really bad relationships. It can keep you in really destructive relationships. That sometimes when you believe in the one, you are so convinced that he's the one, you are so convinced that she is the one, that you will accept bad behavior and ignore red flags. And that's my concern for some of you. My concern is that some of you are so convinced this person you're dating is the one. And so you actually put up with things you should never put up. And if I can just be your shepherd and your pastor here, ladies, let me speak to you. I see this happen more for you than with guys. And that doesn't mean that's right or wrong. It just means it's what I've seen where you get so convinced that he is the one that you tolerate bad behavior from him. 
You tolerate abusive or manipulative behavior from him. You tolerate unfaithful behavior from him because you're so convinced he's the one and he's your soulmate. And here's what I want you to know. If there is a guy in your life who is not treating you right, he's not the one. He's not the one, ladies. And you deserve to be with someone who is kind and good and righteous and holy toward you, right? And sometimes you can get so caught up in this myth that he's the one and you'll tolerate bad behavior. You'll deal with things that you should never accept. So here's what I want you to know. Culture teaches you that you find the one and you marry them. But I want you to know the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that you marry them and they become the one. Like, like that's actually what happens. So we talked about Sarah and we talked about Tim getting married last weekend. Let's give it up once again for them. And they are a wonderful couple and a beautiful couple and a remarkable couple in every way. But here's what I want you to know. The moment I got to watch their wedding vows happen, I got to see them declared husband and wife. In that moment, they became the one for each other forever. It was that moment. And every other moment up before that was them exploring and trying to understand, am I willing to lay my life down for you? Am I willing to follow after you? Am I willing to follow Jesus with you? Every other moment up until that is that. And then the moment they make that vow, the moment they get married, they become the one for one another. So this is the beautiful thing that's so liberating about the scriptures. There's not one person out of 8 billion and it's like, good luck, go find them. It's actually you go, you marry someone and they become the one forever. Like I want you to know this in the scripture, that the only compatibility test in the Bible is a Christian testimony. That is the only compatibility test. And so many times what we get is like, well, we took a compatibility test and we were 93% compatible and it was great. You're like, or we were 36% compatible and we don't really know. The only compatibility test in the scriptures is that we took Christian testimony. Meaning they can be of a different race. They can be taller. They can be shorter. They can be smarter. They can be less smarter. They can be rich. They can be aspiring to be rich, like an artist, right? Like can be whatever, right? Like they can be any of those things. But what you're looking for is a Christian testimony. Hear me, hear me, followers of Jesus. The only thing that is mandatory in the scriptures is that they are following Jesus with you. And then you get all the latitude in the world to do that. And so on the one hand, I want to give you that freedom that freedom to not think that there's this one person and I gotta find this one person because if I don't, my whole life will go sideways. No, no, I want you to find anyone who follows Jesus. But then I also wanna bind you. And I wanna bind you with the truth that the scriptures say that we would be equally yoked, that we would walk together and follow after someone, follow after Jesus with someone who also loves the Lord. And so what I wanna say to you, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to only date other followers of Jesus. And I don't want you to deceive yourself into saying, sure, they love Jesus, because one time they happened to see a church as they were driving by on the freeway. That is not following Jesus. And because here's why. I know that's silly, but here's what I found in my life, and you know this is true, that it is impossible for you to be on the same page if you're not even reading the same book. Like, like you know this is the case. If you can't be on the same page in life and in parenting and in finances and in future and in housing and in everything if you're not even reading the same book. And so what do I want for you? I want you to dispel the myth that there's one person out there for you. And I want you to rejoice in the fact that if you love Jesus and they love Jesus, there's a shot. There's a shot. And it doesn't mean you have to marry them. It doesn't mean you have to be together with them. It just means if you narrow the entire world down to one, you will find yourself frustrated. But if you open yourself up to all the brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord and walk with him, it will be expansive and freeing for you. Here's the second myth that's keeping you frustrated or bound in dating. It is the myth of love at first sight. It's the idea that you'll know immediately. And let me remind you again what Ephesians 5 talked about. It talked about men sacrificing for their wives and women submitting to their husbands. And I want to say this clearly. I do not think you can know that within seconds of meeting someone. 
I, I do not think, men, you can meet a girl and immediately know I'm willing to sacrifice for her. I'm willing to get up early in the morning. I'm willing to do the dishes. I'm willing to work hard. I'm willing to grind it out so that I can build a life for her. I just don't think you can know that in a moment. And the same with you ladies. I just don't think you can have this sense of like, I met him and immediately I knew I respected him and honored him. I knew that I could follow Jesus with his lead. I just don't think that's possible in seconds. And why don't I think that? Because these two words, sacrifice and submission, sacrifice and submission require trust. It requires trust. That this thing we're aiming toward in marriage, again, is not just two people who love each other and want to play house forever. It is a total picture that the Bible gives of sacrifice and submission. And here's what I know. It requires trust, and here's what you know. Trust is built over seasons, not in seconds. Trust is built over seasons, not in seconds. And so listen, it may be that you know a couple that's been married 40 years, and they knew in the instant they met, you know all that was? It was a lucky guess. It was a lucky guess. And that's okay. Sometimes there are lucky guesses. But the idea that I'm going to submit to this person, I'm going to sacrifice for this person, is something that is built on trust over seasons. And here's why this is so significant. I think some of you have perfectly legitimate candidates for marriage in your life and you have written them off because you didn't have a meet cute with them. I think some of you have written off perfectly legitimate men and women in your life because the moment you met wasn't dynamic, it was hi, right? And that just wasn't cute and you didn't have that spark and you didn't have that moment and so you just kind of went, ah, you just kind of wrote them off because in your mind, that's how it's supposed to happen. In your mind, you're supposed to meet them and know immediately. And I just wanna free you from that tonight. Like again, my story with my wife isn't everyone's story, but it is my story. So I met her 10 years ago, or actually 13 years ago on staff here at the church. Uh, I meet her at the church when we're both interviewing for a job. I'm walking into the job interview. She's walking out of the job interview. She's just been hired as an intern for the church. I'm walking into my interview. She sticks out her hand, introduces herself. I say hi, and I completely have no time in my mind for her whatsoever because I'm about to go get a job. That was what was in my mind. That's not romantic. That's not cute. That's not interesting. That's just me walking in to get a job. Now she would share that a thought crossed her mind. Like, what if, what if he's the one, right? She was kind of still thinking that. And I wasn't thinking that at all. But then here's what happened that summer. So we start serving together in ministry. Uh, we're serving here together with high school students in high school ministry. Uh, and we're going throughout the summer. And my heart and my mind was not toward dating at all. I was coming out of college. I wanted to establish my career in ministry. I wanted to figure out where I was going to land. That's what I was focused on. I was trying to focus deeply on ministry and on work. But I'll never forget what happens. It's like a random Tuesday and she's not in the office. And I wonder, okay, where is she? Because she's part of the team and she's not here today. And someone said that she was sick and I'll never forget what happened in that moment. Some of you heard me say this before, but in that moment she was sick. And my first thought was, man, I'd love to bring her some soup. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I was like, I have feelings for this woman. Like I didn't want to have feelings for anyone and that's how it started. And then I started to pursue those. But here's what I want you to know. Like there's no meet cute there. No movies being made about me being like, I should bring her soup, right? Like that's not happening. But our marriage is beautiful and it's amazing. Why? Because love doesn't have to happen in the first second. If it's built on trust, if it's built on trust, built over seasons, it doesn't have to happen in a second. And here's the question I want to ask over some of you who have been so convinced you have to meet her and have that moment where you know you have to meet him and be swept off your feet. What if your desire for a good story is getting in the way of God's story for your life? What if your desire for this story that you could tell your grandchildren someday is getting in the way of the fact that there's actually someone you've known your entire life who would be a perfect person for you to marry? Like, I think there's some of you who have someone in your life you've known since middle school, and maybe they're even in this room, oh, like, and maybe they're even here, and you've known them, but you just kind of wrote them off because you didn't have that moment with them. And what I want you to know 
is that this idea that we have to have love at first sight is a myth that keeps you bound and frustrated. So there's the myth of the one that you have to find your soulmate. There's a myth of love at first sight that you'll know immediately. Here's the third myth. The third myth is that you should follow your heart because your heart is always right. And I gotta tell you, your heart is not always right. Here's what I want you to know. Your feelings, your heart, your emotions. I want you to know three things about them. Number one, feelings are good. Feelings are a good thing. Does that say uh, good? No, they are good. All right, feelings are good. Like they're not bad. I'm not here to down feelings. I'm not here to say it's all about facts and just get the information on her, get the information on him. No, feelings are meaningful. And in fact, I want to add this. Feelings are a gift. They're a gift from God. Imagine how miserable life would be if there were no feelings. If you just objectively analyzed the world like a computer everywhere you went, like life would be way more efficient we would never, for example, buy flowers, right? Flowers are like, let's take this living thing, cut them off, and let them die in front of us, right? Objectively, there's nothing good, but like flowers stir up feelings, and so we do it. It's a good thing. It makes life beautiful. Feelings are good. Feelings are a gift, but I need you to know this. Feelings are a terrible God. I just need you to hear this tonight. Feelings are a terrible master of your life. Feelings will lead you into places that you never should go, and you know that. And here's the reason I know this. Every single one of you has known a couple has known someone who has been in a relationship and it is terrible, it is awful, it is toxic, it might be abusive, there might be infidelity and that they stay in the relationship and you're looking at them going, what is wrong with you? Why are you in this relationship? And they look at you with that look that says, nothing you're saying makes sense, I'm in love with him. Nothing you're saying makes sense, she's so beautiful. And their feelings are actually leading them and I want you to know your feelings are a terrible God. And so I don't want you to follow your heart. Like, I want you to be aware of your heart. I want you to be aware of your emotions. I just want you to know if your feelings are steering the ship, if what you feel about him, what you feel about him is the ultimate thing, it will lead you toward destruction. So I want to give you two ways we keep our feelings from deceiving us. I want to give you two ways we keep our feelings from actually steering the ship. Number one, you listen to God. Listen to God. And I know this just sounds like so painfully obvious in church, uh, but here's what I wonder how many times like you've actually entered into a relationship and never actually taken the time to sit and say, God, um, should I marry this person? Like you've never actually taken the time to go before the Lord and say like, should I be in a relationship with this person? I remember when I was dating my wife and I was thinking about proposing, I actually took an entire day off work, went to a place in Malibu, like a retreat center and spent the entire day in prayer and fasting before the Lord. And here's what I said to God, I wanna marry my wife, but if you don't want me to, you got to tell me today. Because if not, I'm going to keep driving down the coast to Santa Monica and buy a ring. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do, God. And I spent the whole day just seeking the Lord, asking him. And there was nothing from the Lord that said no. And so again, what do we want to do? we got to listen to our God. we got to spend time in prayer and seek his face. And here's the second thing we have to do. We need to listen to God's people. We need to listen to God's people. Because if you have Christians in your life who are saying, hey, hey, I have some, I have some concerns here. If you have Christians in your life who are just like, are you really sure you want to marry him? Are you really sure you should be dating her? Are you really sure this is a healthy relationship? You would be a fool not to listen to them. The people God has put in your life is one of the most powerful ways God speaks to you. And if you are in a relationship and it's getting serious, you need to bring men and women around you who will help you understand and who will help you grasp whether or not it's healthy or unhealthy. 
So I did this again uh, when I was about to marry my wife. Before that day uh, where I went before the Lord, I, I actually went to God's people first. And so there's a group of guys and I'm still friends with uh, most of them. And we were together, we were sitting out on a patio and there's a little fire and there's probably seven or eight of us sitting there. Uh, we're hanging out for the night and then I got everyone's attention. I was like, guys, guys, I need your attention. I kind of took over the room. And I said, here's, here's what I need. I said, um, you guys know I've been dating Danny for a couple of years now um, and I wanna marry this girl. Um, I want to propose. I'm going to go buy a ring. I want to marry her. But I love you guys. And I know you love me. And I know you love the Lord. Um, and so sometimes um, we don't want to say things because we don't want to hurt feelings. I just want to give, I said this, I just want to give you permission like to hurt my feelings, to say the absolute truth. Does anyone in this circle have objections about me marrying Danny? And there was like this murmuring of, yay, like awesome. I was like, no, 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 I need to go one by one. So literally one person at a time, do you have objections? Do you have objections? Now that is way too intense, okay? You guys don't have to do it. By the way, they said yes, all right? So they were all on board. But, but here's what I want you to know. If you don't have people built in your life who you can say, I don't want you to lie to me right now. Do you have any concerns about me marrying this person? If you don't have that, you're missing out. Why? because our feelings are a terrible master. They're a terrible God of our life. And if you are running off just how you feel in every moment, you will blow up your romantic life so fast and so destructively. And then here's the fourth myth that keeps you frustrated. It's the myth of happily ever after. And here's the myth that everything will be perfect once you find them. Here's a myth I find that doesn't keep you from the relationship, but often causes some of you to hit eject on the relationship way too soon. Some of you are convinced that if you find this perfect person, and they find you, it'll be like the cutest, most wonderful thing ever, and you will live happily ever after. And once again, we're being discipled by Disney, right? Because most of what happens in Disney is like it's all tumultuous, and then at the end, they get together, and they kiss, and the music swells, right? And so it seems like once you get together, everything's perfect. But here's what you need to know. Anyone who has dated for a long time in this room, or anyone who's married will tell you, you get married, or you get together, you start dating, and it's not perfect. And again, I think some of us get into this space where we're like, well, we, we had some fights and things were kind of tense and we didn't agree on everything and it was kind of weird and we had some awkward moments and we weren't sure what to do. So therefore I need to hit eject because you've been convinced that the, of the myth of happily ever after. So, so here's what I hear from couples sometimes who are trying to justify why their relationship is so good. I hear this and this is a good thing. The good thing is, hey, we don't fight a lot. We don't fight a lot, which is a good thing because I don't wish conflict on anyone. Um, conflict in relationships is painful. It can sink your life. It can just be overwhelming for you to deal with. Um, but here's what I've learned, and I wonder if you've learned this too. Um, sometimes when people say they don't fight a lot, it's because they're two very mature, humble, submissive people who are sacrificing for one another. And sometimes when I hear people say they don't fight a lot, it is because there are two cowards in the relationship who are too afraid to say what's actually wrong. And sometimes when I hear people say that they don't fight a lot, it's because one person is a little bit afraid and one person is kind of a bully in the relationship. And so anytime problems are brought up, it gets crushed and dissent is pushed down. So, so again, I'm not terribly confident when I hear a couple say, we've been dating for years and we've never even had a fight. Everything's been perfect the whole time. That doesn't bring me a lot of confidence because you're dating a sinner and you're a sinner. And where in your mind did you get the idea that like two sinners would have this perfect relationship where no one ever sins against each other? So again, it's good to hear we don't fight a lot. I want that for your relationship. But can I tell you what's better? What's better is this. We have learned the art of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. That's what you're after. You are not after perfect. You are not after this happily ever after where nothing ever goes wrong. You are after the type of man, ladies, that is willing to say, I messed up. I hurt your feelings. I was wrong. How can I make it right? 
Gentlemen, you are after a woman who is willing to say, I was inconsiderate, that was wrong of me to do. How can I do better next time? That is what you're after. That is what you want. Don't look for the perfect person because they don't exist. You are two sinners dating one another. Look for a confessor and a repenter. Verse 32, it goes on in Ephesians, says this. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So again, these myths keep us from marriage. It keeps us from the destination we're trying to get toward. And what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna lift up our eyes and say that marriage is not just about a man and a woman. It's actually presenting something to the world. And what is marriage presenting to the world? He says it here. It's a mystery, but he's talking about Christ and the church. Listen, the marriage relationship is meant to represent Christ and the church. Like your marriage, my marriage, is meant to be a parable, a mini drama, a display to the world of the great love that God has for his church and the love that the church has for God uh, from his people. Here's how I wanna put it to you tonight. Um, Your marriage, if it eventually comes in your life, is meant to display the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the world. What do I mean by this? I mean that your marriage, in the way you love one another, is meant to represent the love that God has for his people. And this is the gospel. The gospel is that God so loved the world, that he sent his one and only son, Christ Jesus, that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel that Jesus comes into the world to die on the cross, raised from the dead, that we might be saved. Here's what you need to know about the gospel. The gospel is not a declaration of present love. And this is the best news in the world. Let me tell you, this is the best news in the world. The gospel is not that God woke up today and he likes you. The gospel is not that God today happens to be good with you. That would not be good news at all. The gospel is not a declaration of present love. Hear me on this. The gospel is a promise of future love. The gospel is a promise, not just that God loves you today, but he will wake up tomorrow and love you then. He will love you five weeks from now and 10 years from now and 25 years from now. God will love you until your last breath. That's the best news of the gospel. The best news of the gospel is whatever I do next week or next year or 20 years from now, the God of the universe says, Brian Howard, I'm into him. I love him. He's chosen. He's holy. He's dearly loved. Why? Because that's what I say about him. That's the good news of the gospel. And here's what I want you to know. If the marriage is supposed to represent the gospel, then the same is true of our marriage vows, of our covenant that we make before each other. Here's what I want you to know about marriage. Marriage is not a declaration of present love. It's not a declaration of how much you love each other today. Here's the problem I see at weddings from time to time. It's very popular now to write your own vows. Um, And sometimes at weddings, what I see is people write their own vows. And what it really is, is just a love story. And so the vow is like, I met you on this day and you did this. And then I said this, and then you paid for the meal, but you left your credit card. It was like this whole story, right? And then it gets into, I love you so much and you make me feel so good. And that's the end but they don't actually promise anything. And the problem is that vows turn into a declaration of how much you love them today. But here's what I want you to know, that marriage vows are not a declaration of present love. Marriage loves are, vows are a promise of future love, right? That's what marriage vows are. So, so I did a wedding for a, a couple back on May 5th of this year, May 5th of 2023. And here's what they needed to know, that their vows on May 5th of 2023 were not a declaration of love on May 5th of 2023. It was a promise of love on May 5th of 2063. The idea is I'm not just going to love you today. I'm going to love you tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. That's what marriage is meant to represent. And so I'll show you this picture. So here is my wife and I getting married in the Calvary Worship Center just over 10 years ago. Uh, You'll see us up there. Pastor Drew Sam's doing our ceremony. Some of you know Drew Walton, my best man, best friend, uh, standing there with me. Um, That is us getting married 10 years ago. 
And we were making vows to one another. And those vows were promises, not just declarations of how much we love each other today, but rather they were promises of how much we would love each other in the future. And there have been days, my wife and I had, had terrible days. There have been days that we have had to argue through things and talk through things, that we've stepped on each other's toes, that we've wounded each other, that we've hurt each other. Like marriage has not been this perfect thing where everything's gone right. But here's what I know, every time things are a mess, I know that 10 years ago, I made a promise that I would love her even on the worst days. That's marriage. That's what we're after. See, when you get up to the altar, when you get there, you are not just declaring, man, I love this person so much today. You are declaring that this is the type of person I'm willing to love 20 years from now, even if everything goes sideways. Like, here's a great question to ask about the person you're interested in. If you're dating, if you're just flirting, if you're interested in, would I be willing to love this person 40 years from now? That's the question for you to ask. Because if the answer is, no, it's just really fun right now. No, we're just having a good time. If the answer isn't, I would be willing to labor with this person through children, through pain, through job loss, through moves, through joys, and through suffering, through everything. If that's not the answer, then the marriage is not the solution. Here's how it ends in verse 33. It says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is how Paul ends this epic um, description of Christian marriage. And I want you to notice what the scriptures don't say here. I think sometimes it's important to notice what the Bible says, and sometimes it's important to notice what it doesn't say. If this was a perfect parallel, here's what it would say. It would say, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must love her husband. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say husbands are supposed to love their wives and wives are supposed to love their husbands. It actually gives us a distinction here. Every one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And I think this is significant for us to say, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that if you are going to step into a marriage relationship, it is recognizing that men, as you marry a woman, she is not just like you. Women, as you are marrying a man, he is not just like you. And you cannot anticipate or expect or demand conformity to the way you want to be loved and respected and appreciated. And here's what Paul understands. Paul understands that in the marriage relationship, what a woman needs most is love. This sense of security and being known and being understood. And what a man needs most is respect. That he needs to be admired and cared for and not undercut. And it's not that a woman doesn't need to be respected or that a man doesn't need love. But Paul is identifying the core needs of men and women here. Um, years ago, an author put out a book and he talked about uh, for men and women in relationships, he talked about the crazy cycle and the energizing cycle. And I wanna show you the crazy cycle up here. Here's what he talked about. Most fights in marriages and maybe even fights in, in dating relationships have this, um, that without love, she reacts without respect. And then he reacts without love and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And this isn't every fight, this isn't every circumstance, this isn't every situation, but by and large, this often happens in a marriage. It often happens in a relationship. It often happens as you start dating that he doesn't love her, so she reacts without respect, and it tumbles and it tumbles and it tumbles. And what Paul is identifying so at the core of marriage is that in order for a marriage to work, you have to recognize that you're not married to someone who's exactly like you. You have to get out of this crazy cycle by what he, but what this, again, this author is gonna call the energizing cycle. I'll show that to you here. Here's the energizing cycle. That he loves and that motivates her respect. And that respect motivates his love. And when a marriage is really churning and working, it is happening in this kind of way. And again, it's not that she doesn't love him. 
And it's not that he doesn't respect her. It's that you have to understand that there's a way God has built men and built women. And once you appreciate men for men and women for women and stop pretending everything's the same and actually step into that, then you will get into this energizing cycle of love and respect. See, this is where Paul lands it. And this is what he's after. And so here's, once again, the question I wanna ask you or the statement I wanna make. That once you know where you wanna go, then you can choose who you wanna go there with. And the ultimate thing tonight that I just want to put into some of your minds um, is I want you to ultimately stop looking for a boyfriend. Stop looking for a girlfriend and start looking for a husband. Start looking for a wife. Start looking for someone who you would say, no, I don't know in that moment. I'm not saying you walk up to someone after the service and you're like, so you, me, next weekend? Like, like don't do that. But, but I am saying that you start to look at people not as, would it be fun to date her? Would it be cute to have pictures? with? Like, that's not what I'm looking at. What you're looking at as you're dating someone is, is this the type of person I'm willing to respect for the rest of my life? Is this the kind of woman I'm willing to love for the rest of my life? Is this the kind of person I'm willing to lay myself down for? Is this the type of person that I could see going to the destination that I am heading toward? Because again, once you know where you wanna go, then you can choose who you wanna go there with. And listen, here's the thing that's terrifying but also just kind of freedom. You don't have to go where the scriptures call you to go. You can choose to kind of have a marriage that just kind of doesn't reflect this and you just kind of do your own thing and find your own way if that's what you want. But at least be clear on that. If you don't want to have the kind of marriage that's described here in Ephesians 5, you have the freedom to do that, but at least be clear on that so you're not asking someone else to come into a journey they don't want to come into, all right? That's what you want to have. I want you to have clarity. Where are you going? Where are you after? And where is this journey ultimately taking you? Because here's what I know. I know that if you choose to go down the road the scriptures call you toward, if you choose to honor the Lord in the way that the marriage represents Christ and the church, where you are ultimately heading is not toward marriage, but you are ultimately heading toward God. So here's the final scripture I wanna show you tonight uh, and our band will make their way up. In James chapter four, it says these words. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And so here's the invitation for all of you. Um, tonight, we talked about being single and being married and relationships and getting into relationships and all sorts of different things. But ultimately, all of this, marriage and sex and relationships and dating and all of this is meant to draw you near to God. And if somehow your experience of marriage, if somehow your experience of dating, if somehow your experience of everything we've talked about draws you away from the Lord, then somehow you have gotten sideways and you've bought into a myth that's not drawing you near to the Lord. The hope and the desire of all of this is that as you seek after Lord, you would find another person, men that you would find a woman and women that you would find a man who would go with you toward the Lord, that as you draw near to God, that he would come near to you. The ultimate goal of marriage, the ultimate goal of dating, the ultimate goal of everything is that we would come near to God and that we would become more like Jesus. I think you'll be glad that you did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. And thanks once again for your word. I pray for clarity in this room. I just pray for a clarity about where we're going, who we are, what you've called us toward. And I pray that as we step into relationships of all kinds, uh, that you would give us clarity about who you want us to date and who you want us to be around. I pray for couples in this room, couples listening online who are just wrestling through their own relationship, that they would have a clear and compelling vision of marriage that is honoring to you and reflective of your will in scripture. I pray for those who are terrified of dating, who have been wounded in dating, who aren't sure they want to get back into dating because of some of the pain and trauma they 
faced. God, I pray you would do a healing work through the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would bring the right people into their life to help them seek after your son, Jesus. And so God, whether people in this room are single or married or dating or engaged or anything else, God, I pray that their hearts would be filled with the Holy Spirit tonight and confident that as they draw near to you, that you, God, will guide their steps every step of the way. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.